one of the number one things the devil wants to tell the children of God is that serving God and prospering is not synonymous. But I want you to know something. Jesus said he became poor so you and I could become what? Okay, this side did okay. I want to go to the Presbyterian side. Jesus became poor so we could become what? Now, you've got to think that way. Tomorrow in Dallas, you know, uh, uh, Tiz and I were riding in tonight, and uh, she said that, uh, uh, I don't know if you read it or a friend of ours read it or saw it on TV or something, that the number one city in America for prosperity is Dallas, Texas. The number one place. The number one place. And so tomorrow... Somebody in Dallas, Texas is going to become rich. Now, you've got to think that way. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And one of the, one of the number one ways the devil attacks that message is through religion. That, that spirit of religious poverty started with Rome. Where if you're, really, if you're really holy and if you're really spiritual, then you're willing to be poor for God. But if you've ever been to Rome, they preach it, but the Pope ain't living it. Somebody say amen. I don't know if you've ever been to Rome or not, but I want to know how much that church costs per square foot. You know, we're looking building our new church, and we're looking at how much it'll cost per square foot. You go to the Vatican, they got hundreds of millions of dollars worth of paintings. Hundreds of millions of dollars. They have, they have everything, marble and gold and crystal. So, you know, I think if somebody's preaching the vows of poverty, they ought to live the vows of poverty. You've got to understand compared to what Jesus had in heaven, he was a poor man here on earth. If you gave all the money in the world to one person, all the money in the world, and there's enough money in the world for every man, woman, and child to have a minimum of $12 million. No, 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 don't don't phase me out. Think about this. Every man, woman, and child in America, in Africa, in, in England, in Europe, in China, there's enough wealth for every person, if they divided it equally, for every person to have $12 million. If you gave all of that money to one person, that one person would be a poor person compared to the wealth that Jesus had in heaven, where the streets are transparent gold. The gates are emeralds and jewels. And so when the Bible, and I know some of you have heard it, but many haven't. So when the Bible says Jesus became poor, so you and I could become rich, it does not mean in our mentality Jesus lived in a mobile home. Jesus always was a wealthy man. See, I'm not getting a lot of amens because of that church thinking. 
The day Jesus was born, or excuse me, not the day, but when Jesus was a baby, the three wise men brought him frankincense, myrrh, and gold. Now, most Christians don't know what frankincense and myrrh is, but to help you is frankincense and myrrh was more valuable than gold. And so when they brought that, a friend of mine did a study, had, had people that, that he paid to study this, they brought Jesus a minimum, a minimum of seven camels of frankincense, seven camels of myrrh, and seven camels of gold. Why? Because in the Mideast, they understood that a man's gift makes room for him. Now, that doesn't mean the gift of singing, the gift of preaching, the gift of tap dancing, the gift of prophecy. It means a gift. You're a man's gift. When you come before someone of of honor and power, it's an insult to come empty-handed. So you would never come before a king without a kingly gift. Say amen. I know what we see in the church plays and and all this where, you know, baby Jesus is in a manger. You know, he's born in a, in a barn. You know, number one, it wasn't a barn. It was a Sukkot. It was a tabernacle. When, during that time, they would build what looked like a barn, a stable to celebrate. And, but before they ever went to the Sukkot or to the stable, they went to the inn. So Mary and Joseph had money for the inn. Don't you hate when I break that, that church? We love to think about suffering for Jesus. Well, you can if you want. But my Lord suffered enough for all of us on the cross so we could have life and life more abundant. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, people always mock our Jewish brothers and sisters are is, well, they, they, they run everything. They got all the gold, and they got all the diamonds, and they run all the banking industry. Well, one of the reasons that happens is is they don't believe their God wants them poor. Amen? I don't know if I've told this joke before, but uh, the Jewish mother is walking down the street. We got a brand-new baby in the push cart and a a two-year-old walking next to her. And this other Jewish mother walks up to her and says, how old are your babies? And she said, the doctor's two and the lawyer's just born. As a man thinks. See, they understand that they have a covenant of prosperity. Say prosperity. And I know it's it's a bad rap. And I know the churches preach against it. You got one end that uses prosperity as a gimmick. You got the other end that has vows of poverty. But I'm going to tell you something. When the Bible says Jesus became poor, and the group that I used to be in, we really emphasize that. We emphasize, man, if you drive a nice car, if you drive a good-looking car, it's because you're not serving, you're not giving enough. My Bible says, give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, present. If you're driving a new car and a beautiful car, it's because you are giving. Now, let me help you. That is part of the end-time gospel to reach the world. Not just so you, we can, you know, but the Bible says that all the world will call you blessed. Tonight, 
is if you're here tonight, it's because you have decided you want the anointing from Tizanai for prosperity. If you're here, then you've decided that, okay? The church world will say, you know, you know we, we had a guy in uh, Portland one time, and uh, we met him, and he said, he said, I quit coming to church. He wasn't going to our church. He was going other way. And I said, why? And he said, the church made my wife and I feel uncomfortable. And I said, why would, why would you feel uncomfortable? Well, the guy had become very successful in, uh, in the construction business. And because of that, he drove a Rolls Royce, and she had a Mercedes or something. And the church made that he said, those are the only vehicles we have. And the church made him feel bad if he drove a Rolls Royce and she drove a Mercedes. That is totally unbiblical. My Bible says God wants you so blessed, all the world calls you what? All the world calls you what? Blessed. All the world. Listen, now think about the strategies of the devil. Okay, you're witnessing to your family. Your car is the color of Bondo. You're renting a single wide mobile home. Your television has still antenna rabbit ears on it, but you're trying to win your family to how wonderful Jesus is. Now, can I be down to where we live here? When Tiz and I got saved, we heard that poverty garbage. We lived it. We preached it. It worked. (laughs) But my family, you know, well, we're serving the king of kings, and y'all are sinners, and y'all need to get saved. But they didn't listen to us because they had to bail us out financially all the time. We We didn't have enough money to pay attention. I took their, their daughter out of a nice life into poverty all in the name of Jesus. But when we turn from that poverty doctrine into understanding, and this is before we ever went into ministry, that God wanted us blessed, all of a sudden they started seeing God bless us. And by seeing the blessing on us who they loved, it opened their hearts to the love of Jesus Christ. Somebody say Amen. amen. So the devil comes in with a tremendous strategy. And he doesn't do it through the pornography shops. He doesn't do it through the dope dealers. He doesn't do it through, through uh, the casinos. He does it through the pulpit. And he begins to preach this doctrine of poverty. And so as we go and witness and share the love of Jesus with people, this suffering thing, and I'm going to tell you something, people in the bars and people in the casinos, they're not looking to suffer. Now, I need an amen. They're out there looking for something that's going to make them happy. And it doesn't work when we say, you need to get saved. Well, what's in it for me? Well, heaven. Well, they're not interested in heaven yet. They're going through marriage problems. They're going through financial problems. They're interested in how God can help them tomorrow. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we say, well, you need, you need Jesus. Well, what's in it for me? Well, poverty. 
suffering, pain. Oh, where do I sign up? My Bible says that he'll open the windows of heaven so wide and pour us out such a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. Now, now stop. We hear that so often. Stop and think about that. Stop and tonight is Shabbat. Shabbat is when, we, when God opens the Sabbath blessing to us. God said, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour you out such a blessing. Now, slow down and look at me. There won't be any room to receive it. Now, listen to what those words say. I will pour you out such a blessing, you won't have any more room to receive more blessing. Now, slow down. I will bless you so much, there won't be any more room for more of my blessing. That is as true a prophecy for the end times as Israel becoming a nation. That's just as true. The sign of Israel becoming a nation is a sign that the Messiah is getting ready to come. The sign of God turning his believers into, into lenders instead of borrowers is a sign that the Messiah is coming. I don't know if you got to see us on TBN, but they caught it. Somebody is going to become debt-free. It might as well be us. Amen? God wants us. Let me me help you. Let me help the super spiritual Christian. Let me help you. I don't want anything. I don't need anything but a log cabin in heaven. Well, me too. A hunting, I want a hunting cabin that after I shoot my elk and then lay hands on it, it comes alive again, I can go back to the mansion that Jesus told me. Amen? But for those here on earth that I don't need anything, all I need is Jesus. Can I tell you this? I say this in love. That's a lie. Because my Bible says money answers all things. Can I tell you something? Those who gravitate in Christianity to the poverty message are lazy people. They're lazy. Because it's easier to be poor and lazy and blame that on God than it is to be rich and putting your hands to everything that he can bless. Because even if, even if we don't want any more, we have a world that we must win. And the Bible says, my Bible says, money answers all things. Last night I did TBN. I did a telethon for TBN. While I was teaching, because there is an anointing on Tizanai for prosperity, literally millions of dollars came in. Millions of dollars came in. And they said, people say, well, why do we need, why do we need television? And it hit me, it hit me last night when I was teaching. Most of you know the prophecy that Derek Prince gave me on his deathbed in Jerusalem. 
He said, you will be the arrow shot from the bow in God's hand and destroy the enemies of my people in nations around the world. And it hit me last night. If, if the teaching on breaking generational curses and Jewish roots, if I'm the arrow, the bow is Christian television, and the strings that launch it are the people who God prospers so we can preach the gospel around the world. Somebody say amen. Do you understand? And so I'm going to do a whole thing on one Sunday on breaking the religious curse of poverty because a lot of people need to get that church funk off of them that church that old been taught for years you know that old nasty church poverty mentality well bless god we didn't need prosperity when i got saved no but the kids were down in some basement mildewy funky sunday school room And we wonder when they get teenagers why they didn't serve God. When our babies come in, it's not going to be some old mean lady downstairs yelling at them, but they're going to walk into an experience because our God is the God of prosperity. Somebody say amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Just as true, just as true as all the other prophecies of showing the signs that Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem, just as true, one of the number one signs is God canceling debt and releasing more than enough into God's children's lives. Now, and, and like I said, I'm going to do a whole month on this, so I'm, I'm covering the bases because I want, I want a foundation of people that will launch us into this. But you might say, well, I have no education. Now, I'm going to do a whole teaching on this. You don't need an education. I'm, I'm not against education. You ought to get all the learning you can get. But let's say you're to the age or you're to the point that you can't go back to school. The devil will come and whisper to you, well, you have no, you're not smart enough. Let me tell you something. How many of you here have the Holy Spirit? In you is the spirit of all truth. You may not have a college education, but you have the spirit of God inside of you that is smarter than all the college professors combined around the world. And he's ready to lead you and guide you and show you things to come. Amen? Amen. Somebody has to fund the kingdom of God. In order to fund the kingdom of God, you have to have more than enough. It is a testimony to the unsaved. Why are you so blessed? You don't know? I serve Jehovah Jireh. I serve Jesus Christ, and he is my provider. Are you with me? All right, read with me in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8. I love this portion of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. He says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him, to reverence him. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Most of the time when you see the word fear, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It does not mean to be afraid of God. That's not what it means. Look, look at me. The, one of the greatest illustrations I got of the fear of the Lord is, uh, I can't even remember who said it. I heard it years ago. It's like you're a kid and you play peewee baseball and your dad takes you to a baseball game at a major league stadium for the first time and you come walking out of that dark concrete tunnel and you walk into that huge state you've been playing on the local park peewee field and all of a sudden you walk into a major league stadium with all the lights and the green grass and all the signs and everything and you go wow When the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what that means is the wow of God. When you understand that our God is a wow God, why would you serve anybody else? Our God is a wonderful God. Our God is an awesome God. Why would we we walk away from serving him? So God doesn't want us afraid of him. He wants us to be wowed by what he can do in your life. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways and be wowed by him. For the Lord your God. Now, look at this. Look, let, let me just take a second. Walk in his ways and fear him. If you don't walk in my ways, I'm going to smoke you down. I'm going to burn you in hell. I'm going to take your children away. I rebuke that religious teaching in the name of Jesus. Put it together. You know, let me tell you something. If you can't preach good, you make people afraid. Let me tell you something about ministry. If you can't preach good, then you use the fear tactic. Because if you can keep people afraid and you can keep them poor, you can control them. God doesn't want to control you. He wants to release you. Look at, the, look, at, look, look at it again. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God. The commandments are not to restrict us. The commandments are to guide us into his blessing. Amen? The commandment isn't, you better tithe or I'll get you. No, the commandment is tithe. And bring your offering. And I'll open you the windows of heaven. Say, well, if we don't tithe, we're cursed with a curse. No, God doesn't curse us. God didn't go around cursing people. When we tithe and bring that first fruit offering, we step out of the system of a curse world and we move into God's economic system. And in God's economic system, he's got streets made of gold. He can bring gold coins out of fish's mouths. He can do, do miracles beyond anything we've seen. And so it's not, I'll get you if you don't. It's, I'll bless you if you do. Are you getting this thing? Because look what it says. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, walk in his ways, and be awed by him. Why? Because the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. See, if, if God's talking about punishing you, and then he says, why? Because God's bringing you. It doesn't even make sense. He said, be awed by God. Why? 
For the Lord is bringing you. Say, I'm going. Look at this. For the Lord your God is bringing you. He is bringing you. It's not I might. It's not he'll bring some of us. Say this out loud. My God is bringing me into a good land. Now look at what he's bringing you to. A land full of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. Now stop right there. That doesn't sound like much because you and I can go to the faucet and turn, a, turn water on. We're talking about desert people. We're talking about people that have to have miracle provision. When you go to, when you go to Israel with, with Tiz and I, you, we'll, go, we'll go from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea. You have never seen desert like that. I mean Nothing. It is rocks. But then all of a sudden, we'll come into this little area where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there's an area called En Gedi. And in, I mean, I mean, I'm not talking like desert like you see in Arizona with cactus and bushes. I'm talking about rocks. Rocks. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of nothing is the spring of En Gedi. That's where David said, as a heart panteth after a brook... So my heart panteth after you, the, the heart meaning a deer, because it, there's, no, there's nowhere else to get a drink but right there. It is water out of a rock, and there's mountain lions there, and the deer knows that danger is at that water, but it has to get to that water in order to survive. That's what David's saying, as a heart, as a deer, pants, he's looking at that water, there's no other place to get a drink, nothing. And he said, I know if I go in there, there's danger, but he, that heart has to get a drink of that living water. And that's what David said, as that heart knows I have to get a drink, God, I have to get a drink of your living water. That's what that's saying. Because when you go there, you're going to understand when God said, I'm going to bring you into a good land, a land full of brooks. You, imagine 40 years walking in a desert and every day you need a miracle provision of water and all of a sudden god said i'm going to bring you out of a land where you have to believe for a miracle just to get a drink and i'm going to bring you into a land that's full of brooks of water of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills what is god saying to us He's saying before you got saved or before you came into this teaching, every day you've been believing God for your rent. You've been believing God for your car payment. You believe in God to put some hamburger in your helper. You've been believing God every day. But he said, I am bringing you now. I'm bringing you now into a land where you're not going to have to sip water by a miracle. It's going to flow out. Oh, somebody ought to shout amen. That's prosperity. Now look what it says. Then he goes into a land of wheat and barley. Now, let me stop here a second. Because if we don't know the Bible, the Jewish roots of the Bible, this doesn't make any sense. If you remember, when God says, I'll open you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there won't be room enough to receive it, and I'll rebuke the devourer. So not only am I going to bless you, 
but I'm going to rebuke the enemy that's been stealing your blessing for years and years and years. But that condition is that we bring our tithes and we bring our offering And we learned last Sunday that that offering is not just a regular offering, but three times a year, we bring a first fruit. The first of the first fruit, which comes on Passover, is a barley offering. Now, why barley? Barley is what feeds your animals. Now, now look at me a second. Barley is what feeds your animals. How does that, what does that have to do with us? Barley is your business. It's your job. It's your, it's your invention. It's, it's the machine that's going to bring you in that income that'll be good measure, pressed down and shaken together. Somebody shout amen. Barley is that grace of God. Now I'm going to preach on this on Sunday. Bar, every seed produces after its own kind on the first first fruit which is passover we come before the lord with a barley offering and that barley offering releases us the grace or the favor of god favor how would you like to when your family comes up to you and i don't want to get into this because i'm gonna teach it on sunday they say why are you so blessed and you go because i am highly favored of god say favor favor is you don't earn it you don't deserve it you can't repay it it is just god saying here's a man Here's a woman, here's a young person that I am going to show the world my favor on. Somebody's going to have the favor of God. So the bar, look at what it says here. See, if we don't understand the Bible, we just go, oh, wheat and barley, that sounds good. But he says, look at here. He said, number one, I'm going to bring you water. No more needing a miracle every day. Then he said, I'm going to bring you into a land of wheat and barley Barley is your job. It's your it's what's going to make you the money. You're not made but you're not put on this earth to work 10 hours a day. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not put on this earth to work so much you can't be with your family. You can't volunteer in the church. You're too tired to pray when you get home. The reason why that is a satanic trick. Now, you ought to work. Say amen. But I believe in all my heart, God will get to the place that you're not having to work for money. Your money is working for you. I mean, now, can I be real honest? What if, you know, we've got hundreds of people in here tonight what if you didn't have to go to work next week but your money instead of you having to work 10 hours a day for money your money is somehow through investments or whatever working for you and i say you know what we need to go next next week to israel and we all just get on, rent, our, rent our own jumbo jet and go have a prayer meeting in Israel. 
Now you need to think, if you're going to go to new beginnings, you got to think big. Are you with me? A land flowing with water, a land of wheat and barley. Barley is, barley is the favor of God. You are not made on this earth to work like an animal. The animal, the, and, I, and I'll teach this more on Sunday. The animal was made to work for you. That's why in Hebrew they say, this person is a, this person is a real mensch. That means this person is a real human being. What they're saying is this person's not an animal. Okay? We are not put on this earth to work a job. We're put on this earth for one main reason. What is it? Fellowship with God. Now, Adam and Eve did work. Don't get me wrong. But Eden was not all of Eden was not a garden. Read your Bible. We picture Eden, Adam and Eve in the garden, and everything's bushes and plants and fig trees and stuff. The Bible says the garden was in the east part of Eden. The word Eden means a place of voluptuous living. So they would go into the garden, they would till, but God's Jehovah Jireh would supercharge their work because they weren't there to work. They were there, God would bless the work of their hands, but they were there to fellowship with God. The whole reason we're here is because God wants to fellowship. So the devil, watch this, so the devil brings poverty into the church, and we're having to work an eight-hour shift, two jobs. You know, we don't have time for our kids. We don't have time for God. We're too tired, and the devil has stolen. I know, church, I know a lot of pastors hate this, but that be, because, be, listen, if they can keep you poor, they can control you. I can remember when I first started preaching prosperity. And people in our church in Portland started prospering. And all of a sudden, I've been in the ministry 17 years at this point. And all of a sudden, come Christmas, my church, the Christmas holidays, my church went way down. Numbers went way down right before Christmas. And I called a friend down here in Dallas. And I said, or he called me and, and, and he, I, he said, how was your service? I said, it was good. I said, how was yours? He said, oh, it was great. I said, how was your numbers? He said, oh, they were down. And I said, mine too. What happened? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, it's the holiday, schools are out on holidays. I thought the numbers would get bigger, and they went down. He said, Larry, when people have money, they get to go on vacations. When people are poor, the church is their entertainment. Where else can you come and sing and dance, have a babysitter for a buck? God wants you to be able to go on vacation and not have to put it on the plastic fantastic. I saw a thing the other day and it said for for an $11,000 debt, on your credit card, you will pay, the normal person will pay 21000 in interest. 
That is a demonic strategy. You know, I, I had a, I had a, a, um, a guy that I trained. You know, you thought he would have learned. And he said, if you want to get out of debt, then you need to back off on your vacations and back off. And I, I understand that thinking. But wouldn't it be better instead of backing off just to make more money? That's what this barley, that's what this first fruit. God said you bring your tithes. The tithe brings you out of this world system. And then you bring, uh, I'm going to bring you in a land of barley. The barley releases, and this is what I'm going to preach on Sunday, the favor of God. The favor of God. You know, I can remember when I was in first, fourth grade. I was the teacher's pet. The kids used to teach me. I was a teacher's pet. Yeah, you're the teacher's pet. I said, you better believe it. <laughs> teacher gave me candy. Teacher gave me, you know, the fruit. I got the, the, all the good jobs in the jar. I got to do all the stuff and go out in the hall. Yeah, teacher's pet. Absolutely. Can you imagine being God's pet? The favor, say favor. See, I'm preaching this on Sunday. I'm giving, just giving you a taste of it. Man, I want to be the, I want to be the favorite of God. Oh, I, you know, I just like Larry so much. Wouldn't you like God to say that about us? Oh, I'm just, don't go, give him more. Go ahead and give him more. You know, I mentioned the other day, just, just, just came to thought of me. You know, I was teaching on Sunday that when you understand this, the rabbi said, I'll come and bless you in, in unusual ways. I'll bless you on unusual ways. We begin to figure out, oh, I believe God can bless me here and God can bless me here and God can bless me here. God can bless me here. But God said, yeah, I'll bless you all those places. But if you trust me, I'm going to bless you in ways that you never even dreamed about being blessed. Do you remember Sunday? I said, you know what? I, I, I talked to my mom and I, I'm thinking, I think I'm going to bring my mom down for Mother's Day. Remember that? Somebody was watching on stream that owns a travel agency called and said, we'll fly your mom down first class if she wants to come. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We are in, did y'all see me on TBN last night? We are in that unusual window. Now, I'm not, that God said, this is bumper crop time. This is miracle time. When God says here, now, I, I, when God says here, I will bring you into a land flowing with water, it means I will never thirst again. I'm not, we're not going to have to send, you're not going to have to send scouts out looking for a, a miracle of water. He said, it's going to be flowing everywhere. Then he said, I'm going to bring you an, in the land of barley. Which means your animals, your job, your business, your church, your ministry will become so fat. If if your animal is weak, it can't bring your harvest in. Are Are you hearing what I'm saying here? If your job is weak, it can't bring your harvest in. God said, I'm going to bring you into a place. You think think this is the only job you can do? I'm going to give you favor. Now, I'm going to give you favor. You think this is as far as your business can go? I'm going to give you favor. 
There are people sitting right here in this room or watching my stream right now. And you're sitting and thinking, but but I don't have any skills. God can give you an invention. You know, one of my favorite ones came from Texas. How many have ever seen Velcro? A guy, a Christian guy in Texas was walking through a field praying for prosperity. And he got home and all these burrs were stuck to his pants. And he went, hey. And began to work, and it took him a while, but began to work on the very thing that you and I call Velcro because God will bless us from unusual places. Now, I'm tempted not to share this tonight, but I can't help it. So when I share it Sunday, get all excited. Amen. Just faint. Just fall down and flop a little bit. Because we are in that time. We are in that portal. Now remember that, remember that, that during this time we are, we are coming out of a dar, which means I'll rebuke the enemy and I'll bring you in a blessing. We're in that time of Purim, where you rolled the dice, and Haman rolled the dice, and the name came up Agag on the surface, but on the bottom, what name came up? David. So what was on the surface looked like you're going to lose, but underneath was the answer. We're in that portal where God says, I will turn your story upside down. And what does the rabbi say? Those who understand this, I will bring it in from ways that you're not even thinking. God said, I'll bless you in unusual ways. Now, remember the prophecy of the rabbi is that once, the, once you get into the stream, it will never stop. This window that we're in right now, when, I, when, when Tiz and I walk through and anoint you, this will never stop. This will keep going until the Messiah comes. I want you to catch this. This is Purim. The devil rolled your dice. And the surface, your dice came up Agag. But underneath your dice say Jesus Christ, the son of David. And he's going to turn your story upside down. Somebody say, it's my turn. Say, it's my turn. See, now, my business, my business is the church business. That's my business. My business is building you, the church, spiritually and physically. So when I, when I read this promise of God bringing you and I into a land of barley, that means God's got to bless the business I'm in. That means God's going to bless. And now listen to what I'm saying. You may not yet be in the business God's got for you. In fact, I dare to say 95% of you haven't even dreamed the job that God's got for you. But God is going to bless your job so much. I'm a firm believer 
that instead of us working 10 hours a day for our money, our money's going to be working 24 hours a day for us so we can build the kingdom of God. Somebody shout amen. All right, now look at the next part of the scripture. Can we teach a little bit? Look at the next part of the scripture. A land of wheat and barley. Okay, barley is your barley is your job. It's your animal. It's your it's your it's your means of bringing in the harvest. The wheat offering is the second first fruit. Now on Passover we bring in a barley first fruit. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, on the day of Sukkot, we bring in a wheat offering. Now watch this, and I won't get into this too much. The barley releases the favor of God. The wheat releases on top of the favor the prosperity of God. This is why Jesus said to those people, I became poor so you could become what? No, you ought to say it loud. You ought to say it so loud your religious teachers hear you. Jesus became poor. Listen, I can serve God in plenty and I can serve God in want, right? But plenty is a whole lot more fun. No, no, yeah, yeah, I'm not here. Well, I'm just going to suffer for Jesus. I did enough of that. Tis and I did enough of that for all of us. Can I tell you something? Don't go to a church that preaches poverty. Because what's on the head comes down to the beard. What's on the beard comes down. If you're going to a church that preaches poverty, if you're visiting here, if you go to a church that preaches poverty, shake the dust off of your goodwill sandals and get out of there. Amen? Look, should we go a little further? Of vines and of fig trees. Let me stop right there. I'm not going to teach on this. Fig trees. A land that flows with milk and honey. Wasn't bee honey. It was fig honey. There were no beehives. (laughs) It was fig honey. When you go with us from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea into Engadi, where that thing is, that land that is nothing but rock has once again, when the children of Israel looked across and the Jordan and saw the land of Israel that flowed with milk and honey, fig honey, then that land became a desert again. You go down there right now. What's the, one of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah? I will make that desert bloom. You go down there right now between, when you come down from, you come down from Jerusalem, the Dead Sea is 1,100 or 1,300 feet below sea level. Think about it. You're, I'm talking, we're talking dead desert. But God said, right before the Messiah comes, I will bring back the children to Israel 
And once again, the desert will flow with milk and honey. And when you come down there, as we're driving along the Dead Sea, you will see fig orchard after fig orchard after fig orchard. Because once the children of God got back in the land, it began once again the flow with milk and honey. When God says it's going to happen, you can mark it down. It's going to happen. Don't let anybody steal your dream. Somebody shout amen. If God said, I'm going to turn your story upside down, he is going to turn your story upside down. If God said, I'm going to bring it from unusual places, don't you even work. Don't, don't even try to think how he's going to. You know what? Do that. Think of as many ways as God can bless you so he can do it in unusual ways. Man, I love teaching this. A land of olive oil. There's no time to teach all this. Olive oil is one of the world's oldest sources of financial income. They use olive oil. Olive oil was, was such a commodity of wealth in every area. Plus used for God and anointing. Uh, okay, Number, verse 9. A land which you eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack most everything a land in which you will drive junk pieces of car live in ratty houses is that what it says now look at this I'm almost teaching too much of this a land in which you will lack what you'll lack what what will you lack When you look at something and you begin to desire that thing, you're serving God, you're a child. And I'm not talking about something sinful. I'm talking about something nice. When you begin to desire that, my Bible says God will give you the desires of what? Now, you need to understand what that means. You're a child of God. You're believing God. What did I teach you about Abraham? Abraham, Noah walked with God. But Abraham walked where? Before God. Why? Because he believed God so much. Noah put his sons in the ark. Abraham put his son on the altar. Everybody talks about how Noah had great faith. Yeah, you're building a boat. Just think about the faith of laying the sun you've been waiting for for 99 years on the altar. But God said of Abraham, Abraham is my friend. You know, now think about that. We, 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 we hear, you know, we sing, I am a friend of God. That's one thing for us to say. I'm a friend of God. That's a wonderful thing to say. But how much more wonderful is God says, He is a friend. Larry's a friend of mine. Put your name in there. A land when you have the faith, a land in which you will lack nothing. Every good thing that's out there, God created in six days. 
Now, he may not have created the car, but in six days, he created the ability to make that car. He may not have created that mansion, but he created the ability to build, not just in heaven, here on earth. Somebody's going to live in a beautiful home. Amen? A land in which you will lack nothing. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. No more room. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing there won't be. A land in which you will lack. See, he doesn't say it one time. You can't take a scripture that God says one time and build a doctrine around it. But the God that you and I serve is not El Gidbai. The God you and I serve is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you something. The dangerous thing about this is once you see God bless you here, your desires are going to grow. Amen? You're believing God to pay your rent. All of a sudden, you see God doing more than paying your rent, and all of a sudden, you begin to desire to buy your own home. God buys you a home. All of a sudden, you begin to desire for a better home. God buys you that home. All of a sudden, you desire for a new car. And you get that Hyundai. God's putting gas in the gas. God that can put gas in a Hyundai. Do they even make Hyundais anymore? The God who puts gas in a Hyundai can put gas in a Mercedes. Uh, I'm going over to the Hyundai side. God can put it in a Mercedes. Or a new pickup, whatever you want. A land in which we will lack nothing. nothing. Now, I'm going to prove it here to you in a minute. We're not talking about El get by. We got to get rid of that religious stinking thinking. God will meet my needs. He doesn't say he'll meet your needs. He said he'll meet your needs, good measure, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing, where there's not room enough to receive it. Ladies, let me help you here. Who made diamonds? Who made diamonds? Get more personal. Who made diamonds? My. Who made diamonds? My father. And it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Somebody's going to wear diamonds. See, we got to, you know, uh, we always have to watch, you know, that you don't, we don't wear jewelry and stuff, you know, and too many things because it shows on television and you got to be all things to all people. And there's people out there that are going to want you poor and they're going to want you suffering. They're going to want you miserable and stuff like that. But not my God. My, 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 my God lives in a place where the streets are made of transparent gold. Do you think ladies, a diamond or on your ring, on your ring finger is going to bother the, the God who, you know, you know, this is all for me. You, oh, you got some of my diamonds. He'd chip you off a piece. He'll sprinkle it down on you. 
you got to quit thinking about money the way the world thinks about money. I will bring you money like dust. How many of you ladies, you dust? What happens the next day? What happens the next day? It's back. God said where there's no more room to receive it. You gotta, you gotta think, you gotta think in time's way, not old funky, nasty, moldy Sunday school carpet room way. You gotta think kingdom way. God said, I'll bring you money like dust. You can't get rid of it. You get rid of it, it comes back again. Okay, a little bit more and then we'll have Shabbat. We lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron. Uh, 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 the whole teaching in that. The, that, the, the, the stones, the, listen, the stones are primitive weapons. Iron is superior weapons. Which means the battles you face, they're going to be won. You're going to face people, you're going to face the enemy who all they got is rocks, but you're going to have stones, spears, and swords. Your battle is going to be won easily from now on. There's no time teaching all that. Out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, full, full. Then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. I'm just going to skip through all this so we don't have time tonight. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judges, his statutes, which I command you today. Now look at me. Why is he saying this? You've got to understand this is an end time prophecy. A lot of people serve God only when they're in trouble. When that jail cell closes, everybody begins to pray. Amen. I never wanted to go to church, never thought about going to church, didn't care about God, told people there was no God. But the first time they closed that core, I said, mommy and God. They called my home and said, your son's in jail. My dad says, I don't have a son hung up. But I said, God, help me. And God opened. I didn't even know what his name was, but he knew what my name was. Most people serve God when they're in trouble. Most people pray and get serious. But when they get blessed, they forget him. This scripture is saying, when you're in the land that's flowing with living water, when you lack nothing... When your wheat and your barley, when your, when your animals are fat, your business is taken off, when your prosperity is overrunning you, when you're full, don't be like the last generation who forgot who it is that gave you the power to gain wealth. The time to serve God is not only when we're in need. The time to pray is not only when we're in need. The time to pray and praise him is when our vats are full, pressed down, shaking together, overflowing. When you're driving down the street in that new car, debt-free, don't forget to say, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. When you walk into that house that's got a front door and a back door. 
Don't forget to give him all the praise and all the glory. When you and I are in Israel at the Western Wall waiting for the Messiah to come back and your money's back here working for you, don't forget to give him all the praise and him all the glory. Somebody ought to shout amen. A lot of people backslide when they've got too much. Say this out loud, Pastor, I will not backslide. Or stop going to church when I've got too much. That's what he's saying. This is not a poverty doctrine. This is a blessing doctrine. That you will be, you and I will be so blessed. Now I'm going to tell you, religious people aren't going to like it. I got good friends that I grew up in the Lord with. And they won't hardly even talk to me. Because I've gone out of the poverty mentality and into the prosperity mentality. And what really bugs them is it works. Religion and religious people are going to tell you it doesn't matter. That is a strategy of the devil because your Bible says money answers all things. Money answers how many things? What pays the rent? What pays the car payment? What evangelizes the world? What puts food on your shelf? What puts you on vacation? What builds the new church? So the devil doesn't want us talking about it. Somebody, Dallas is the most prosperous city in America. You know what they're saying? You know what they're saying right now? This friend of ours is moving from Portland, moving down here. She said, they said, everywhere else in America, most places in America, they're feeling the crunch. But Dallas is hardly feeling the effect at all because there just seems to be a blanket. You know what? Every church that preaches against prosperity in Texas ought to send us a tithe because we're keeping them afloat by keeping the spirit of prosperity out there. It's time to get it in you. Let me, let me finish this. Lest when you have eaten and are full, I can't finish it. And now look at this next verse, ladies. I'm going to help you here. When you have eaten and are what? Let me, let me just stop there a second. When I grew up in South St. Louis, you know, you know how teenagers are always hungry? You know, I'd come home at night, and I'd, my mom and dad would be in bed, and I, we'd try not to wake up dad. I said, Mom, can, I, can, I have some, can we have some milk? My dad would go, you already ate today. Now, if you've never been poor, you don't understand that. But I know what it is to be hungry. Now, they did the best they could, but I know what it is not to be full. When you have eaten and you are full, our God is big enough to put some hamburger in the helper. Somebody say amen. And uh, look at this. Now, watch this, ladies. And have built beautiful What's that next word? Look at that next word. 
Does that say a beautiful home? What does it say? Which means more than one. Now, I'm not making that up. Is that what it says in your... Does anybody say, no, you can only have one? Because I have only got a few. My God don't have no blue light specials. Your God, your daddy is not on a budget. When you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. A lot of, a lot of us have been, I don't know about you, but when I first got saved and first got married, I worked on construction site and I'd go build beautiful houses for somebody else. And I'd go back to the one bedroom mobile home that Tiz and I lived in. When we first got married, what was it? Eight by 18. It actually had a bumper hitch on it. I'd go build beautiful houses, but I'd take my bride, meet my bride back at a trailer home, real trailer home, because the church taught me poverty. But all of a sudden, I started hanging around with people like Creflo and, and, and Brother Copeland, and I said, man, beautiful houses, and live in them, not build them for somebody else. Somebody else building them for us. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, ladies. Now, you can, you can have beautiful houses mean whatever you want it to mean. It might mean you have a house to live in and a vacation home. It might mean you have a house to live in and you're renting out homes because you're to be the lender and not the borrower. But God, who never exaggerates, says, I will give you beautiful houses. Somebody shout amen. amen. And you'll dwell in them. I won't stop. I'll stop there. Because he said in verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get what? To get what? Say that. I got the power. Somebody gave me a card. I opened it up and it goes, I got the power. Do I still have that? I'm going to bring it Sunday. I got the power. Say this out loud. I got the power. Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. See these hands? In these hands, I have power, covenant power, given by God to gain wealth. If you got the power, give the Lord a clap offering and say, I got the power.